Welcome to Life Point Plus, a program dealing with marriages and family. We are so glad you're listening. Here's your host, pastor and teacher, Gary Moore. Welcome to Life Point Plus. I'm your host, Gary Moore. We're continuing in our study of the six values that Drs. Cloud and Townsend say produce great boundaries in marriage. Last week, we talked about the value of honesty. We were looking at the value of faithfulness when our time ran out. Well, we talked about being physically and emotionally faithful to our spouses. Doctors Cloud and Townsend say that many times one of the partners will justify unfaithfulness by the other's lack of safety. Well, if if she hadn't been so critical, I wouldn't have had to turn to someone else for love. Or a wife who has an affair will say, Well, it wouldn't have happened if he'd been meeting my needs. Nothing is further from the truth. The act of unfaithfulness is something that one person does, not two. As the Bible says of God in 2 Timothy 2.13, If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Think about this for a minute. God does not become unfaithful if we do not love him correctly. He remains faithful no matter what we do. Marriage requires this as well. Do not let your spouse's failures of love be an excuse for your unfaithfulness. In short, make a commitment to each other that you will not allow anything to come between you. You will be trustworthy. You will be dependable. You will be sexually and emotionally faithful. If you struggle with wanting to take some part of yourself to someone or something other than your spouse, find out why. Your actions may be okay. Your spouse can't identify with all parts of you. Different interests and different aspects of personal identity keep spouses from totally identifying with each other. One person cannot be all that you need in life. Friends can connect with some parts of you better than your spouse. This is okay. For example, you may like skiing, but your spouse hates it. Find some friends to ski with while your spouse pursues the love that you don't share. A circle of friends can round out your life. What is not okay is using some lust to keep you split and keep you from integrating your heart to your commitment. Duplicity is taking your heart away from your marriage and bringing it somewhere else. This is unfaithfulness in love or in deed. As God says, remain faithful to the end. Dr. Cloud tells the following story. He was leading a seminar and asked the audience of married couples to stop for a moment and think of their spouse. He told them to think of all of the wonderful things that they love about their spouse and to concentrate on how awesome that person is and how much they love him or her. Think of the wonderful qualities that you admire that attracted you to that person. Let those feelings fill you, he told them. Then after they were all feeling all giddy and in love again, he asked each person to turn to their spouse who was idealizing them at that moment and to repeat after him, Honey, I am a sinner. I will fail you and I will hurt you. Dr. Cloud said you could feel the sense of discombobulation in the room. In one moment, they were shaken from the ideal to the real. Some began to laugh as they got it. Some felt even closer to each other. 
but some looked up confused as if they did not know what to do with his invitation. But that is reality. The person you love the most and have committed your life to is an imperfect being. This person is guaranteed to hurt you and fail you in many ways, some serious and some not. You can expect the failures to come. As the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.20, There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. And according to 1 John 3.4, Everybody who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. We can expect failure from even the best people in our lives. If that's so, then the question becomes, what then? What do you do when your spouse fails you in some way or is less than you wish for them to be? What happens when they have a weakness or a failure? How about an inability to do something? What about an unresolved childhood hurt that they bring to the relationship? Dr. Cloud says that other than denial, there are only a couple of options. You can beat them up for their imperfections, or you can love them out of them. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Love covers a multitude of sins. Nothing in a relationship has to permanently destroy that relationship if forgiveness is in the picture. No failure is larger than grace. No hurt exists that love cannot heal. But for all of these miracles to take place, there must be compassion and tenderheartedness. Well, what does this mean? According to Strong's Hebrew and Greek Dictionary, the Bible describes God's compassion this way, quote, to bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior, unquote. For God to have compassion on our brokenness or sin is certainly to stoop to an inferior, but we need the same attitude toward an equal spouse for two reasons. First, you forgive what is inferior to the ideal standard. You humble yourself to identify with your loved one who is experiencing life in a way that is less than you or even they would want. You give up all demands for your spouse to be something they aren't at that moment. Second, if your spouse is hurting or failing, you are not morally superior, but you are in the stronger position at that moment to be able to help. God never uses the stronger position to hurt, but always to help. As Paul says in Colossians 3:12-14, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What a picture that is. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What if you wore these qualities every time your spouse failed or was hurting? I think we would see a lot more healed marriages. Problem is, that's not the human way. The human way is to harden our hearts when we are hurt or offended. Dr. Cloud says that hardness of heart, much more than failure, is the true relationship killer. As Jesus said in Matthew 19.8, failure is not the cause of divorce, but hardness of heart. Perhaps this is why the Bible places such a high value on tenderheartedness. 
Let's look at four things that make up tenderheartedness. One, an identification with sin and failure. Make sure you have an attitude of humility toward your spouse's failures. If you think you're above sin, you're in big trouble. If you are very familiar with your own sins, you will have a lot more grace for your spouses. Two, an identification with weakness. Not being vulnerable is one of the chief causes of hard hearts. If you are not identifying with your own hurts and vulnerabilities, you will not be able to identify with the hurts of your spouse either. The Bible tells us that we comfort others out of the empathy we have received from our own struggles. 2 Corinthians 1.4 Deal with your own pains and hurts, and you will have more empathy for your spouse. Don't get angry with your spouse for their weakness. According to Dr. Cloud, this is the worst thing you can ever do. It is using your strength in that area to destroy. If you have judged your spouse's weakness or inability, go apologize, if not for their sake, for your own. Identify with your spouse's weakness or inability as if it were your own. Become a partner in the healing process, not a judge or not an impediment. Join with your spouse to heal and strengthen them in whatever way they are injured. Number three, a willingness to become vulnerable again. Sometimes people build up protectiveness from childhood that says, in effect, I will never let anyone hurt me again. Then they take that strategy into marriage. Whereas it might have been useful earlier in life, this strategy keeps them from having closeness now. When you get hurt, if your spouse is truly repentant and can be trusted, open up again. Be vulnerable again. I know that this is hard to do, but, but this is what God does with us. Number four, a willingness to repent. Forgiveness and tenderheartedness come from the injured party. But for it to be used to the future of the relationship, the person who failed must own his failure and show a true change of heart. Without that, opening up oneself to that person makes no sense. We open ourselves up to people when they show that they are trustworthy. This does not mean that they will be perfect, but it does mean that they are truly going to try. Well, let's take a moment to think about forgiveness. Forgiveness is an act of the will. It really has nothing to do with your emotions. Forgiveness doesn't take away your scars, and it doesn't erase your memory. And depending on what the offense was, you may remember it for the rest of your life. Well, how do you know when you've truly forgiven someone then? According to Mark Gunger, when you no longer talk about the offense with anyone. According to Mark, as long as you're still talking about it, you haven't completely forgiven the offending party. Compassion, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness ensure something very important. These qualities ensure that imperfect people can experience love and relationship for a long time. Clothe yourself in them. Is it easy? No way. Relationships aren't easy. They're hard. But done God's way and with the Holy Spirit's power, they are extremely fulfilling. Well, thanks for being with us today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. I know I always do. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening today. This program is brought to you by Cloverdale Church of God. 
If you would like to reach Pastor Gary, please email him at pastorgary at cloverdalechurch.org. To know more about the church, go to our website at www.cloverdalechurch.org. Thanks for listening and be blessed.